Hi, I'm Christian Pulisic from Borussia Dortmund, and I wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving, and enjoy some turkey. Welcome to episode 162 of the Yellow Wall Pod, your Borussia Dortmund podcast in the English language. I'm your host, Stefan Butzko, and I'm in Philadelphia together with my girlfriend, Christina, who is a Borussia Dortmund fan. <laughs> yes. And uh, it's an all-American show. We are recording this at Wednesday, 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. And with us are Mark Chetwick from the Yellow Wall. Hello, Mark. Hi, Stefan. How are you doing? Not too bad. That's great. And Jason Rose, also here once again. Hey, Jason. USA! USA! <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, Christina, also say hello to the audience. Hello, everyone. Woohoo. And uh, yeah, I'm psyched because we can talk about Bruce Dortmund winning a lot. Uh, we have to talk about Borussia Dortmund obviously beating the evil empire, Bayern Munich one to nothing, and uh, then there's this fun match that occurred against Legia Warsaw eight four, record of a record occurred there. But we will talk about this in the second part, and in the third part we will briefly talk about Borussia Dortmund's match against Eintracht Frankfurt, and then Jason will interview Eintracht Frankfurt for. Brian, and yeah, then we will piece this all together to have one awesome show, I hope. So, yeah, without any further ado, I think we'll kick things off. Jason, before the podcast, we uh, talked a little bit about talking points. What's the biggest talking point of this game? So, yeah, I suppose I, w I feel like my biggest takeaway is that it was, it was just, it was nerve-wracking, at least as a viewer, to to watch the match you know any anytime you get an you get an early goal and defend a little more i mean obviously we started with with more of a three center back set uh which I, is a set i actually like because it, it allows a lot of uh defensive flexibility um and, and maybe maybe part of that is is what made me feel positive but also you know i really felt like you know i was listening to the podcast and and uh there were a few people that had mentioned that uh that they were feeling positive about the match too yeah, i think it was last permanent me who both predicted the dortmund win on this show on the last that show. sounds right that sounds right and i i i don't know I, i felt like maybe the the big the big takeaway for me was it was just so tense watching after that early goal just feeling like okay can they hold on to this because i just didn't for whatever reason i didn't feel like that we were going to score another goal 
So as the game wore on, I felt like every tackle, every play into the box, every time Bayern, I mean, I felt like Bayern really were the better team for kind of going into the half and then coming out of the half. I, I really felt like they were better and, and possessing and creating, creating chances. But the, the plan that Tuchel had in place, I really felt just really, really kept Bayern in check for the most part. And I mean, obviously we've <laughs> learned a little more about Bayern today, maybe than we thought we did, but I still think that they just looked, they just, the plan was obviously to, to limit them as much as possible and not necessarily try to play with the ball so much. And then, you know, close down their opportunities and try to hit them on the counter in, in places, not really aggressive countering, but I think once we, once we scored the goal, obviously we didn't have to worry as much about it. But yeah, it was just really nerve-wracking as, as the game wore on. Um, did, St- Stefan, did you feel like, did you feel the same way? I think we should uh, really look at what Tuchel's plan actually was. Dortmund started in a 3-1-4-2 system. And uh, up front, it were Aubameyang and both Ramos. Uh, they were supposed to close down both Hummels and Boateng, who are the strongest in Bayern's build-up. And then, yeah, a back three, basically, with Bartra, Socrates and Ginter, Weigel ahead of them. And then I think most interestingly, it were Schule and Götze on, on the A position to, yeah, basically add some aggression in midfield. And uh, it was all about transition play. Uh, it wasn't a line lineup chosen to uh, circulate the ball for long, Schmelzer and Pischek. You know, at least from the outset, functioned as uh, wingbacks. I mean, later on, it all moved into a five-three-two system. But uh, I think it was really crucial that Dortmund got out of the starting blocks well and uh, yeah, played a very aggressive football, imposed themselves. As I as I wrote for ESPN two, that this would be the key for Dortmund to to really get this going game going and take it by the scruff of the neck. And yeah. There obviously came the first chance and the first goal. I don't know if it was the first chance, but, but the first big chance. Uh, Christina, why don't you talk us through that goal after having it watched so many times? <laughs> <laughs> I just watch Mario nutmegging mats whenever I feel down and I feel better about myself and life. Yeah. But yes. <laughs> Yeah, we, we 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 talked a lot about poetic justice. What, we did. Yeah, why why it is that? It was poetic so? justice <laughs> because it was former Borussia Dortmund captain now playing for Bayern versus ex Bayern player who was a Borussia Dortmund player, but then went to Bayern and then came back to Dortmund, nutmegging Mats Hummels. Yeah, Mats Hummels looked awfully slow. And uh, it wouldn't be a proper goal against Bayern if it wasn't for Manuel Neuer's Reklamierarm. It's basically where where he uh, <laughs> complains with his arm up while the ball is, is hitting the back of the net that he's already trying to, to uh, flag the goal offside. Uh, Mark, your two cents on the goal? Oh, I mean, it was a, a great feeling with... Uh... Goetze making Hummels for the goal, but uh, it almost felt as if we scored too early. I mean, we scored in like the 10th minute. Uh, always seemed like we were going to have to score a second goal if we wanted to win the game, but I really think we limited Bayern to not great chances. They had a lot of chances, but I wouldn't say that they were really high quality. 
they, the closest they came to scoring was that wonder strike from Shabby Alonso from outside of the box that hit the post. But other than that, I'd say that was probably their best chance of the game. And even though they had a lot of chances, they weren't like in extremely dangerous areas where you, you would say that they should score. There were just a lot of chances where if uh, maybe they had just gotten a little bit luckier, they could have found the goal. But I think overall, we limited them to weaker chances, which really strengthened our chances chances against uh, Bayern. Yeah, and after the goal, a couple of minutes later, uh, there was Aubameyang who, who took on Mats Hummels in a in a duel, a sprinting duel, and I particularly enjoyed that because you could really see the gulf in speed between those two players. Um, Jason, it, it was André Schürrle who then uh, really fired, sadly, right at Neuer, but still, you know, it was it was a great strike. But this more or less also meant the end of Dortmund's, uh, let's say, attack. Because as Konstantin already said in the in the previous show, uh, Dortmund would just run out of steam at some point. So uh, how how do you think Dortmund reacted after that, and and were they right to do so, or would you have seen them, or rather, liked them to to attack even for a longer time? Well, I mean. I, th I think anytime you make you make kind of a decision on when you're when you're going to lay back and, and defend a little more, and I, I really felt like as they went along, they they actually did a really good job of of I, I believe the term that uh, that Constantine used was like managing their energy. I, I felt like we reached a certain point in the match where, and maybe and maybe that's why I felt like I that maybe the, there were no more goals from Dortmund coming was the fact that they just I felt like okay. We're, we're really tracking back and there's an emphasis from from the back line all the way to the front on defending and not allowing not allowing the ball to get into the channels um but no i felt like it was a good approach i byron just seemed to be in a in a kind of a weird place right now i think i think you retweet, retweeted deutsche bella um today and was, oh, philip lom uh said that you know their passing game really isn't at a hundred percent and It kind of looked that way too. I didn't feel like Dortmund were that crisp, but I, I think that was the the proper approach at that point because even even the chances that that they were getting uh, in that meaning Bayern, I didn't feel like they were that that great. This wasn't this wasn't uh, looking like a, a pep team that's creating a lot of close opportunities, and I felt like even the opportunities they got weren't really that close. Was that? Offsides goal. Yeah, that was brilliant from from Ribéry, right? <laughs> the entire bar went crazy. Like Bayern equalized, and we're like, um, yeah, offsides. Yeah, maybe maybe a shout out to uh, Braha Schmitz at this point where we watched the game, and uh, yeah, it was really crowded with Dortmund Bayern fans, but also fans from any other team in the league. And uh, yeah, it it took a while until most people in the bar had realized that this goal actually didn't count and that the flag was up. So yeah, it was kind of fun because there were cowbells in basically every corner of 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 the of the restaurant, and uh, yeah, the noise level was just so loud, and yeah, took took a while again until <laughs> they realized uh, that that the goal didn't stand. Um, Mark, now we have to look at at the player that uh, has the same name, at least uh, first name as you. It's Mark Batra. He picked up a Yellow card very early in the game. Tuchel said that he contemplated to take him off or not. Uh, 
what would if you if you were Tuchel had would you have kept him on as well or would you have feared too much for a red card? I probably would have kept him on, considering that Eric Durham was the next uh, defensive replacement at that point. So I w I would just have to trust my guy there, but it was it was nervous. I mean Barcher's not like a, a wild or like rash tackler, so he hasn't gotten sent off in a game for Dortmund yet, so I wasn't too concerned. But also, later in the game, you would you would just worry that 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 could come back to bite you, as it all sometimes does with a yellow card. Yeah, certainly. So, so Socrates probably was again one of the best defenders in in the game. Um, another player who did tremendously well was Mario Götze. Uh, Jason, maybe a couple of words of the significance of, of his game in general, not only, you know, setting up the goal. Yeah, I, I felt like he was the most influential player in the attack for Dortmund, actually. And he he's just so good. He, he's come back and he maybe wasn't the, the, the dribbler he once was, but he's really clever at working and getting into space and, and then creating space for others. Um I just really felt like he was so critical in, in linking um, linking kind of the, the, the backside of the midfield. And when he would get when he would get into a little space, um, he was doing a really good job of, of uh, working sort of balls across the penalty area. And even though some of them weren't necessarily connecting, I really I really felt like something was eventually going to happen um, every every time he was in the box. I. I I do feel like a lot of people do that when he first when you know beginning of the season as he was adjusting he wasn't necessarily that good but I feel like he's become almost as critical as as, as Julian Weigel the last few weeks he's he's really been uh, connected and I maybe maybe it's just me I feel like he's he's marking a lot better now too he's he's doing a better job um, at like winning the ball back and in addition just. Um, just helping the midfield cover cover the uh, the other attack. Yeah, I'm uh, 100% with you there. I think uh, was integral for him that uh, his positioning was so intelligent, and so I think he, he had to you know press basically between Alonso, Thiago, and you know cover Ribery whenever possible. So there was just so much to do, and also you know block the passing lane of of Mats Hummels. So just so many. So many different things to to uh, keep in mind throughout the entire minutes, and I think he did excellently. Um, Mark, another player that I want to give a shout out is Adrian Ramos. Uh, may you want to do that for me? Um, yeah, well, Ramos and Aubameyang at the top were, as you said, uh, maybe before the show, uh, to uh, stop uh, Matt Hummels and Boateng's build up in the Bayern attack. And I think that Adrian Ramos did very well. Uh, uh, I don't know. I can't remember how many other times he started for Dortmund this year, but he continues to show that he's a viable option on, even though he's not our first choice striker and he can always, always do a job like that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, a lot of people were actually surprised to see him in the lineup, but, uh, It worked out perfectly for him. Jason, what does it say about Ancelotti and Bayern that, uh, you know, Tuchel completely snuffed them out tactically, but he did zero things to really, uh, 
yeah, adjust his tactics and, and maybe, uh, get back into the game and then win the overhand tactically. I feel like Ancelotti's, his, at least the book on Ancelotti is he's kind of a man manager and, and that, you know, uh, I think I remember hearing on, uh, maybe talking football that like the idea is, well, you know, under Ancelotti, the best players come to play in the big games where, you know, if that's the case, um, Sure, Bayern were a little depleted and didn't have everybody at the rost, you know, on the roster ready. But that's a team with a, an incredible amount of of attacking prowess and and a lot of great options. So, you know, at the end of the day, if if a couple of your guys are down, well, you know, great. Dortmund's had a lot of injury problems too. I I feel like I wonder if the Bundesliga is I don't know to say a step tactically too far because obviously. I mean, it's a lot. He's got a lot of experience, but I felt like there wasn't an adjustment made for one. But then on top of that, I feel like Bayern are in this place of, of transition right now where when they don't have Robin and Ribery, maybe you know, both of them, maybe they just aren't as impactful or, or, you know, maybe, maybe it's time for, for them to hand off the baton to other people because they're not quite as impactful as they once were. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I mean, if, I guess suppose if you were um, implying that maybe the, there wasn't quite as much tactical, um, may, maybe adjustment. That that's what I expected a little more was they just didn't seem to have kind of a plan B if plan A didn't work. And when Dortmund was clearly just not going to let anybody run by them, and they weren't going to allow them to dominate on the wings. Um, Yeah, there just didn't really seem to be much of an answer. And maybe we've talked about it a little before on the podcast. At times, Tuchel uh, tinkers a little too much going into the Bayern match because I feel like he's, he was he was maybe trying to outthink um, Guardiola at the time. But I don't I don't think that's necessarily going to be a problem with Ancelotti. Obviously, you know Bayern's got a, a better roster, but Maybe this is a place where we can expect Tuchel to to outsmart him every once in a while and make those make those changes and the adjustments that are going to put us in a better position to win. Yeah, Mark, your your two cents. Maybe the league has got a lot more tense now. Uh, Rasenball Leipzig are up there with twenty seven points, then Bayern three points behind them, and Dortmund again three points behind them, and you know Köln Hoffenheim. Berlin and Frankfurt are all level on points with Dortmund and Dortmund will obviously play against Frankfurt. Um, do you think that there will be a real title race going now and will Dortmund be in it? I think that there will be a title race, whether or not Dortmund are in it. I honestly don't know yet. I feel like that win could really spring us into action. Uh, the game against Frankfurt will, uh, tell us a lot too. Dortmund's, uh, or Frankfurt have played really well this season. It's definitely going to be a challenge on the road there, but I don't expect uh, Leipzig to fall fall off too far. Um, of course, they're not going to keep going at this unbeaten pace, but I still think they're a definitely a title challenger at this point, and they are at the moment are a better team than Dortmund and uh, Bayern are Bayern, so they're they're going to stay up there, but. It's going to be much closer this year if they if they continue to struggle like this, and Dortmund could sneak in the race if we 
get some good things going before the end of the Henrinda. Yeah, I think it it will be mostly about uh, Marco Reus, and I, I I think honestly we've seen Dortmund and and this game in particular at a tipping point this season because uh, what was it the members. Uh, assembly was the, the day after and uh, everyone was happy and Wotzka said it was the most harmonious members meeting he ever experienced uh, because obviously Dortmund won had they lost they would have been nine points off Bayern and, and Leipzig and I think that would have changed things tremendously uh, to the to the negative yeah now there is so much hope I mean Marcel Schmelzer is back I hope <laughs> still after the game and and uh Obviously, Marco Royce, and you know about whom we'll talk in a, in a little while, and all those things I, I think could kickstart the, the Dortmund season really, really into gear. Uh, Christina, how how confident are you that this Dortmund side can maybe go on a winning streak now? I was very confident until I just read that Frankfurt have won their last five or unbeaten in their last five matches, and so a Dortmund also though. beat. <laughs> beat us the last two times at home. (laughs) But I'm confident that we just turned a corner and it's only going to be positive from here. Yeah, very, very positive on the yellow wall pod. (laughs) (laughs) I'm more (laughs) interested to see if Bayern can beat Leverkusen on Saturday as well. Yeah, that will be interesting. And uh, Jason, you already mentioned it. Bayern lost uh, against, uh, what was it, FK Rostov 3-2. But uh, the same symptoms. Yet again, uh, Bayern, a lot of shots, a lot of chances, but nothing too great that would force them, you know, a win. Meanwhile, defensively, they were very shady. Um All right, they were a very rotated squad, and uh, we saw that on our own game that, you know, rotated squads can, you know, yield in bad defensive performances. But nevertheless, Bayern are in a slump right now. Uh, Jason, how confident are you that they can get themselves out of them sooner than later? Very confident. Uh, Ancelotti's a proven winner at at, uh, at several different clubs. Bayern has a, a wealth of riches, some of the best players at their position in the world. I I don't think that they will be as dominant as they were under Guardiola, but I think, like I said, it's a period of transition. We're going to find out who the stars are going to be over the next four to five years for Bayern, and I think um, I think that the change in tactics that, that are being implemented right now are going to kind of start to show themselves, but it's it's enough of a shift from Guardiola, and there's going to there's going to be a point, at least to me, where sort of the good vibes that they get from from playing for more of a man manager are are going to start to sort of pan out. I mean, they, obviously Bayern are are more focused on the Champions League, at least in my opinion, this year. Uh, so that's what I everybody think maybe, says <laughs> when they I mean, start losing in the Bundesliga. <laughs> Yeah, but I think there's also some truth to that. I mean, if if you've gone on the run they've gone in the last few years, you feel you do start to feel a little bit invincible, right? I mean, um, I remember when we talked about a few weeks ago, you know, where well, it's a new manager, what's going to happen? And my reaction was, well, they're going to win again. But um, I think what we're seeing now is some growing pains and and uh, some players that maybe aren't quite ready to have the torch handed to them yet. They've got 
players who you hear about every every year that oh this guy's really incredible and then and then towards the latter half of the year you know Acosta a Coman you start to well, you know, maybe they're not they're not that star is not burning quite as bright as it was. But so, somebody in that on that roster, two or three guys are going to all of a sudden start to come along like like uh, Kimmich has and and look really positive and and we'll say, oh, that was the Bayern we expected, and and it'll just be you know meet the new boss same as the old boss. Unfortunately, I've noticed a lot of Bayern fans complaining that. And Salati, <laughs> uh, they're complaining that he's not using the players in their correct position. Complaining that he's using four three three too much. So, like you said, growing pains, and everybody, you know, Tuchel got lucky last season with Dortmund doing really well, but it could he could have had the same fate as well with the growing pains. No, oh, we did. There were there were moments. I think if you think about uh, some of the play in the Europa League last year. There was. I was concerned at one point. Well, maybe maybe Tuchel just doesn't have it as much. But yeah, I agree. It's it's. I think it's a growing pain situation, and you can't just expect everything to be a plus ten out of ten every single match. I think the biggest gripe Bayern fans have with Ancelotti right now is that uh, Thomas Müller is starting on the right instead of playing in the middle because in a four three three there isn't this central number ten position per se, which. Uh, Müller usually more or less assumes so um yeah but but we will see I mean Müller right now is in the, in the big slump still hasn't scored in the Bundesliga after what is it now 11 match days so it's crazy yeah I mean he had 20 goals last season alone in the league if I'm not mistaken so I think that's um, right yeah he he was he was the Mkhitaryan of of Bayern <laughs> last season maybe still is um so has he not scored this season he has in the Champions League, I think, but I don't think he has in Yeah, maybe against Rostov or so in the, in the 5 nil uh, reverse fixture. But yeah, let's let's uh, maybe put the attention back to Dortmund and uh, talk about Ligia. Oh. Actually, before you before you bring that up, we might want to talk about something that I don't know, we all just in denial about or <laughs> Yeah, Roman Birki broke his thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, he wasn't denial about it uh, apparently for for the entire day. So uh, yeah, he he broke his hand, and nobody really knows when it happened. You know, some people say it happened when he had this Superman save and maybe landed oddly on his on his right hand. But he'll be out for quite a while. And um, yeah, I wanted to talk about about Roman Weidenfeller in the Liga segment, but maybe on on a bigger picture. Mark, how confident are you that Weidenfeller will take over and do a good good job? Confident? Not really. <laughs> He's he has seemed shaky this year. He has never been a good on the ball goalkeeper. So I'm not entirely confident, but I think he will do all right. Good enough, I guess. We did win will the we league miss twice. I really think so. Yeah, but that was Weidenfeller in a completely different form. That is, that is maybe the problem. We saw him play against Union Berlin, obviously, and uh, he saved Dortmund in a penalty shootout. But lest we forget, uh, he almost screwed it up for the entire team when he jumped, uh, you know, <laughs> away from the ball almost in the in the uh, overtime. So you know, shades of Weidenfeller right now. It's it's the problem is consistency for him, I, I guess. 
still, I don't know how long it takes un until he, he will get it in his form because I always thought the biggest strength about Roman Weidenfeller is not maybe the spectacular saves, but actually the decision making that's 10 out of 10 for such a long consistent time that, that he just didn't commit any goalkeeper mistakes that his decisions were already on point when to leave the goal, when to stay put online and those little things that just make an experienced goalkeeper so damn good and this is why he got the call up for the World Cup and, and so on. So yeah, we, we really have to see how, how he does but uh, I guess there's a funny moment we can discuss in the uh, Liga Warsaw podcast in, in which we will segue into now. Can I mention one thing before we segue over? All right. Really liked the uh, Aki Schmidt uh, dedication before the match started. Oh yeah, that we was, we, uh, we should have we should have mentioned that. Uh, Aki Schmidt, obviously a long legend of the club, sadly passed away. Um, I know Matthias Zuk will have a whole segment on him soon, so I I won't say too much. But obviously, it's a great shame that such a great Dortmund legend died, and it was really really nice to see the club paid tribute and uh yeah this is usually what you can expect of Borussia Dortmund to do just that and uh yeah it was very moving to be honest and uh Marcel Schmelzer said that it's really hard to uh you know keep the focus on on the game if something like that happens especially if you know the person personally so uh yeah but nevertheless he he found his focus back I guess and uh yeah on that note we Move on to the Champions League. The Champions! With the Champions League match, Borussia Dortmund obviously already qualified for the round of 16 in the Champions League going into this match against Legia Warsaw. Warsaw didn't bring any home fans, uh, but they did. So there were a couple up there in the, in the stand on the, on the North Tribune. Thomas Tuchel decided to make nine changes to the team. Uh, <laughs> and Mark, I will ask you, why exactly didn't Socrates feature? Well, you would have to ask Tuchel, I guess. It was just a, seems like a miscommunication with UEFA regarding the starting lineup at the beginning of the game. And maybe Tuchel just didn't think it was worth the trouble to fight, I guess. Or I really was confused by that, but it didn't seem to matter too much. Yeah, well, in hindsight, it didn't. Uh, Batra and Ginter basically the only ones who survived from from the Bayern match, everyone else, uh, yeah, was was new and and didn't play in in the previous match or at at, at least not from the start. Um, Christina Macaros is back. How happy are you? Very happy. <laughs> he scored two goals. <laughs> well, like... <laughs> or, th or three. You know, I, I I wrote I wrote obviously that he scored a hat trick because it looked like he scored a hat trick, and then I. Uh, Set my article into ESPN and then my editor tells me, well, according to our stats and UEFR, it was an on goal by, uh, don't make, make me say his name. 
Reshniashak. Whatever. <laughs> uh, the Polish left back. Uh, he he got a little touch to it, and yeah, you could see it in the in the replay. But that obviously was the twelfth goal. Uh, let's talk about the uh, eleven beforehand. Um, Mark, where do you want to start? Do you want to start with the very first goal, or do you just want to skip ahead and and Lord Shinji Kagawa and Usman Dembele? Let's skip to Kagawa and Dembele. Um, All right, so, so really let, let Ginter off the hook for the first one. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll forgive him. All Since right. we scored eight, the pardon, the pardoning of Ginter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, such a Thanksgiving. Instead of the pardoning of Turkey. <laughs> All right, then go ahead, Mark. Well, I was just really glad to see Kagawa get back on the score sheet. I mean, it's possible that him and Nuri could be uh, on their way out in January. January or maybe next summer. So it was really good to see our fringe players uh, get some action and get on the score sheet. So that was fun to see. Shinji was freed. Yeah, for one last time, maybe. <laughs> no, we we don't know. Jason, uh, the, the first goal, obviously, uh, a great uh, setup from Usman Dembele. Um, Kagawa, the, the quickest to react. But uh, Kagawa showed also his old talents on a second goal. Walk us through that. Well, like any good video game goal. Uh, no, <laughs> what a what a <laughs> what a strange like. And then obviously, this is a little bit of a tangent here. But did anybody feel like it was the weirdest game ever after watching a game after sitting and just <laughs> being very patient and but also like very nervous for the game to go on and then and then just goals aplenty. No, I. I felt like Dembele looked more confident on this play and just didn't... Maybe I'm the only person that thinks this. Maybe I'm not. So at times, he passes the ball, and I'm like, what are you doing? It's it's weighted poorly. No, you're not um, the only one with that. <laughs> okay. I, I felt like he, he looked a lot more confident. Maybe that's just because Legia doesn't defend at all. Um, but no, it was it was uh, the first goal. It actually took me a little bit by surprise. Uh, just with a different shape and different players, when you when you move um, when when you move, sort of you know match to match, and there's so many so many changes, you feel like there's so many other things to take in. So this one kind of came out of of nowhere for me. Um, but I, I, do you, do you feel like that Legia was just they're just as bad defensively as I think they are. Oh, I don't think they're very good at all. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the case too, but I, you know, some, some teams also just try to go out and just score a bunch of, of, of goals in the champions league, especially when they know they're not going to advance. But I don't know. I, I thought it's, it's obviously difficult to cope with Dembele's speed, but at the same time, Shinji was pretty, was pretty tricky on the end of that too. Um, I also didn't feel like it set much of a tone, and I didn't know if that was just, well, we're coming off the Bayern match. We know we can beat these guys. It's not really a problem. But it was it was just a really weird game to watch, and the, I thought the first goal was sort of along the same lines. We looked professional, and we looked, you know, like we were, we created it by, uh, rather than a tactical uh, prowess, just 
just having better players to make the better play. But I, I don't. This this was a really weird game. <laughs> I mean to to hold Bayern scoreless and then to concede four goals against Legia. I mean, it just doesn't make much sense. Uh, it does if you remember that, like in in the back line, there was one player who basically is a a career defender. I mean, almost everybody else that was on that back line has played a majority of their career or at least started their career somewhere else. So, I mean, that part makes sense and, and to have a letdown, but I think your, your point holds true that like, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, 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 you're letting four goals pass when you just held one of the most talented teams in the world to zero in 90 minutes. So yeah, it, it was, like I said, this game was just wacky. That's why I don't want to be too hard on Roman on this for this match because what only one was really his fault. One goal. Not not even not even. I mean, on the third goal, he could have done better, but you know, it was still hard to save a one-on-one situation uh, unless you go up against Aubameyang. <laughs> oh man, we didn't even talk about that. <laughs> yeah, we you can't say <laughs> you can't say a third goal and expect me to remember which one we're talking about here. <laughs> Well, then you're just... You know, one of them, just, you know... <laughs> you, you, you're just ill-prepared then. That, that That's what it is. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Jason already said it was kind of kind of iffy, and, and we, we saw similar things happen to, to Bayern today, and it's just that there's zero automatism. I mean, Paslak, again, as a left-back... He's not a player that really excels at that position, although, you know, he's probably the best option that was available with Durm not fully fit to start and uh, Gerio unavailable and, and Schmelz is still out. So um there was that on the right side. Didn't really help that it was Sebastian Rode, who is okay as a wingback, as, at least as an attacking option to come on in the game like Ingolstadt, where you need uh to, to pressure your opponent. But when it comes to the defensive efforts he is uh yeah not the best so <laughs> yeah again unlearned then obviously Batra and Ginter also showed against Ingolstadt that they are not the best center back pairing in the world when it comes to actually defending Ginter really didn't close down the first two, two shots of uh Prijovic I think it, it was and and Weidenfeller of course also a, a new goalkeeper so that means uh that there's uh, no routines whatsoever anywhere and uh up top, that back line, there was Nori Shine and, and Gonzalo Castro and, and Shine. He did some awesome tackles, but sometimes he was just caught a little bit out of position. So a lot of things didn't really go well. But on the other hand, nobody really cared because Ginter, uh, you know, in the press conference already said that it m- might be a little bit tough to focus on, on the game after such an important Bundesliga match. And the focus obviously is already on, on the Frankfurt match. Uh, when you when you play against Legia, hence all the many changes. And I know uh, I'm going on for a bit here, but uh, yeah, we we all had the fun of of seeing a side with hardly any pressure, just playing for fun. That was what that's basically what we saw here, and eight goals were the result. And Nuri's emotional goal celebration. Yeah, there were so many emotional goal celebrations. I mean, Felix Paslak too. <laughs> and yeah, Paslak and Paslak and and, and Pulisic. That was that was amazing. <laughs> you can tell those guys have played together for a while. Yeah, and and I really think that's an amazing story. Just think back to I don't know two or three years where they played or where they played in the under seventeen, and uh, you know kicked ass there, and then now they do it on on the biggest European stage. 
you know, Pulisic, I think, did, did he already score in the, in the Champions League against Legia or, or did he just assist? I don't, I don't even remember. You American guys probably can correct me here. I can't remember. Neither can I. Wow. <laughs> so, so, so I guess he didn't. Um, but I don't yeah. think he scored it. I don't think he scored there. I think he had two assists in that match. Yeah. Yeah. He also had assists well, against, against Real Madrid. Yeah. I mean, he must not have because Pasolak was the youngest player. Or I guess he was the youngest German player, though. So no, he's the youngest Borussia Dortmund player. Is, oh. is this person like younger is, than Pulisic? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, he is younger. Yes, I don't think is he. Turned. I don't think so. No, really. Pulisic, Pulisic just turned eighteen. Paslak is, is 18, eighteen and one hundred seventy-seven years. So yeah. yeah, a little math helps us determine <laughs> that. Sorry, folks, that we are prepared all together here, but um, oh yeah, so right. Yep. Didn't score no, no. Otherwise, he'd be the youngest Borussia Dortmund. Score and if you haven't read it already, uh, Pasak basically replaced one last written, the last written, uh, as the youngest goal scorer in a European competition. So that's an amazing achievement and really speaks a lot about Borussia Dortmund's awesome work at youth level. Um, also a future captain. Yeah. I think. Pasak. Which is saying a lot considering you grew up a Schalke fan. Yeah, that is, that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, he did, but uh, that's actually not so unusual going uh, into the Dortmund youth, and there are probably a lot of uh, Dortmund fans in 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 the, in the Schalke youth because those clubs are just so closely together, and there's just so many youth players that are scouted, and and you know if if you and so many people with bad taste. Yeah, and if you're P- Felix Passlack and Borussia Dortmund come knocking, and you're what? What? How old was he? Eleven, twelve, something, something like that. You don't, you don't say no to to such a big club. So obviously you're gonna go there, and uh, yeah, he says he converted. So that's all we need to know. Um, Mark, I already asked you about about uh, Kagawa, obviously, but also a couple of words on on Nuri Shine's performance. Oh well, it was good to see him score a goal. For sure. Yeah, um, but other didn't, than he, that. didn't he come off in like the 60th minute? 70th. 70th? Yeah, I mean, I guess defensively, I we conceded probably like three goals with him in, so I would not trust him as a lone holding midfielder, maybe if we paired him with Beigel. But I mean, of course, it's just great to see him back on the pitch and impact the game in a positive way like he did. Yeah, well, sadly, the past has proven that him and Weigel actually don't pair up because they're too often in the same position. But I think it 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 worked out quite okay with Castro next to him. It, I mean, it was more of a four-two-three-one system, if you want to call it that, at, at least in the, in the beginning, where Kagawa was on his favorite number ten position and and Royce uh, up top, uh, to whom we can actually segue now, if if you don't mind. He also pre-assisted. On Royce's first goal, Shaheen. Yeah, he did. He he played the ball to Kagawa, and Kagawa scored it to Royce, who just could tuck it away, which was uh, goal number four. <laughs> no, number five actually. In, <laughs> if you're in, counting in, from home <laughs> in, in in the game. So um, yeah, Jason, you ha- haven't said anything in a while. So uh, how did you see Marco Royce's performance? I was impressed with how crisp he looked a lot of times people who were on the you know players who were on the shelf for this long and especially Marco Royce (laughs) yeah 
he is not someone who readjusts quickly after an injury. And that leads me to believe that they were true to their statements about not rushing him back to play. Uh, he looked, he, he looked to mix right in. He, he didn't, um, it looked like the old Marco immediately, which was really awesome, actually, and get, and gives me some confidence going into the next the next few matches because it's it's nice to have somebody other than Obama Young that you know you can have confidence in their ability to to finish their opportunities. I I was impressed, maybe because after so so last year maybe I'm alone in this. I never felt like he made a great adjustment into. Tuchel's plan and Tuchel's system. You're not and, alone with this. <laughs> yeah, he he looked. It, he had the autom- automatisms. I believe he he knew when when to shift a direction, when when to shift another direction. And again, I mean, you know, maybe maybe we need to temper that this this praise because it was Legia, but he just he looked like a guy who, who was back to his intuitive play and and could provide in addition to goal scoring, maybe even a little bit of playmaking too, which is really encouraging. Yes, it is. Mark, how did he, how did you see Marco Royce? I was, I was impressed that he completed the full 90 minutes. Like Jason said, it seems pretty obvious that they did not rush him back. And, uh, they definitely gave him a lot of time to recover and get fresh and ready to go the full 90 minutes. I think I read, um, it might have been in Lars' article, that uh, Tuchel uh, had signaled to Marco, like asking if he had wanted to come off maybe around the 70th minute, but Marco waved on saying he was good to go. And we saw that he scored, or well, technically an own goal that he created in the 90th minute. He was still going strong to the end, which was just really good to see. Absolutely no rust and... Uh, makes me confident that he could star again at the weekend. Christina, do you think he'll sell at the weekend? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I like about Marco, besides when he scores goals, is that he creates chances too, so it's good to have yeah. him back. Yeah, I think I think it's, it's going to be very important as Jason just said, to have another scoring outlet next to Aubameyang. And we all saw it in the first season under Tuchel that Royce was one of the players that didn't really adapt well. Like Mkhitaryan, Mkhitaryan went off the charts. He was awesome in the Tuchel system. But Royce, he's more of a transition player, and that was a problem for him. Um And I don't think he has uh, the intelligence per se to really fit into that system 100%. But nevertheless... He is just so damn good. He has just so much skill that, uh, you know, even, even as, as we just pointed out, he didn't perfectly fit. He still scored what 23 goals in 30, 40, 40 games or so. So even, even more 45 yeah, or so. He started off really a lot of goals too, if I recall. Yeah. Yeah. He, he initiates a lot of goals and yeah, yeah. So just a very important player and. You know, there's a reason why he's such a big star of Borussia Dortmund, why he's on the cover of FIFA and Pro Evolution Soccer and, and whatnot. So, uh, yeah, obviously we are preaching to the choir here. <laughs> but yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, we, we can still talk about Royce in a, in a way that he linked fairly, uh, fairly well up with, uh, Usman Dembele. Um, and this is something Dortmund fans didn't get to experience yet. 
because you know those new signings never had the chance to play with Royce together. So, um, Mark, who do you think of all the new signings Royce will link up the best? You know, from the offensive guys. Oh, that's a good question. I know I'm putting you on the spot here now. Um, I would have to say maybe Rafael Guerrero, and uh, if he were to play in central midfield or maybe left back, um, Dembele or Emre Moore, uh, those guys are going to be probably on like opposite flanks. So I would, I'm most looking forward to him combining with Guerrero, but also in terms of players that we ha or had. Well, I guess we didn't have Sherlin Goetze before. Also, I. I didn't even think of them before I answered, but I, yeah, that whole attacking trio of Sherla, Goetz, and Royce, I would expect to be first choice as long as they're fit. And so those are the guys that are probably going to make the most impact. Well, I'm not going to say that because I'm going to nicely sit on the fence here because I have no idea whether Sherla, Goetz, and Royce will be a starting trio or not. It might be Guerrero, it might be Dembele, you know, with Royce. I think Royce and, and Götze might actually be a given, but, you know, who who else will compliment them? Where do you put Sherla if Royce is starting? On the right, maybe. On the left. Up top. There are just so many options. I think that this is the biggest takeaway now, that Tuchel really has to, you know, get into this thinking chair <laughs> <laughs> and pick a lineup out of all these options. Jason, do you have a favorite pick? From the top of your head? As far as someone that, that Royce could sort of link up with a little more? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I don't just want just to repeat what Mark said, but I actually feel like that's an interesting, that's a really interesting pairing, both because uh, Guerrero's flexibility and the, the kind of the two different positions he plays. That was one of my favorite things about watching uh, uh, Blazikowski and, and uh, Piszczek for so long is there was just this understanding between the two of them. And I kind of wonder if it, when Guerrero kind of plays out on the left in that wing position, that, that's a really dangerous um, a duo moving throughout the wings. And, and that could really be an incredibly explosive uh, potential from the left. And I hadn't thought of that, and I don't have a better answer. And that's, a, that's actually a really good shout. <laughs> yeah, well... Guerrero is such an intelligent player. I mean, they should link up naturally just because of the amount of talent that's there. And I think we all love to think back to the synergies that were Götzeus, you know, Marco Reus and, and Götze linking up together. I still fondly remember the match against Ajax where they just completely dominated in in style. Most definitely. So any anything else we should mention about this match in particular? We could mention that the goal scoring spilled over till today with Nevin. The the comeback goal scoring. Yeah, the comeback story, feel good stories of Borussia Dortmund. Yeah, I I wrote a I wrote a little text about the feel good stories coming out of the Ligia match because there were just so many, and obviously yes, Nevin Zubacic scored <laughs> uh, against Rödinghausen. In the fourth division, I know you, you all know that club. You all have uh, merchandise. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that happened. And so Nevin Zubotic was really, really happy. He said uh, it felt like, you know, going to Disneyland 
in in essence that uh, even running backwards def defending and and doing all the, all the runs felt just great to be there where he said that you know in a time of maybe two months those things weren't fun maybe but uh yeah he really enjoyed himself on the pitch playing for Borussia Dortmund's second team on on Wednesday night and scoring the the one nil win in the 86th minute is probably the, the cherry on, on top and uh yeah he said <laughs> that you know it was it was originally planned that he would be taken off around the 60th minute But he said that once you're in Disneyland, you don't want to go home. <laughs> so he played the full 90 and, and scored. So that's, that's a very nice story too. And I think a lot of Borussia Dortmund fans want to see him back play for the senior team. Um, we've talked about this often enough on the show. This, it, it might just happen for a farewell game, basically. Maybe against Augsburg. I don't know. We will see, but, uh, yeah, obviously it would be great to see, to see him back on the pitch. And maybe not just because of injuries, just because, you know, he, he finds a way back. Um, Jason, do you have any hopes for the guy? Oh, it's so hard to say. I mean, your heart is just with him all the time because he's just, is there a better guy? Is there a better person in the whole organization? Maybe not. And so then on top of that, you have to feel bad for, He's, I feel like he's having a race with Royce to see who can who can be injured the most, and it with with the two of them combined, it's just this. It's just often it's you know they're often in on the roster. I feel like every other few months we're going, oh hey, you know Nevin's back or Marco's back. You totally and, counted out Sven Bender, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Very rude. Who now? <laughs> who who now? Sven Bender. You mean Papa Sven? Oh yeah, I was gonna say congratulations going out to Sven and Simone on the birth of their son Max Bender. Yeah, Max Bender. So, yeah, no, it's I, I suppose to sort of complete that. I it's a bummer because I I think it's pretty inevitable that he's leaving in January, right? I mean, uh, it's it's a little bit like when Kuba left. It's it's probably time, but it doesn't feel like it's time yet. I just want him to stick around and be. A club ambassador and and I mean he took the train to the Bayern match. Yeah, it's and is he and is he just done? I mean, physically, when you watch him, he just has never, at least to me, the injury he sustained. It was the 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 Champions League final, right? Um, he's just never looked like the same player to me. No, it wasn't a Champions League final. It was a match against Wolfsburg. Early That's it. in the Hinrunde 2013, yeah, where he, where he ruptured his ACL was just a. I don't think there was even any impact. He just, you know, suddenly laid on the ground and had to be carried off, and then Socrates came on and took over. Yeah, and ACL injuries and um, and Achilles tendons can both be like that. They can kind of come out of nowhere, but both are, can be just completely devastating. But Even just the way he moves, it doesn't look the same. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen him today, <laughs> being three thousand eight hundred miles away <laughs> from from Dortmund. But uh, yeah, we we just we have to see literally how how he does this time around if we get to actually see him. I mean, he doesn't think he's done, obviously, or he wouldn't leave. No, but... and the same about Nori Shine. We we might actually mention that that he said. Uh, He uh, doesn't feel like giving up on Dortmund easily and that he belongs here. 
Boy, he just doesn't look like he fits, though. <laughs> Where's he going to get time? He's not going to play over Weigel. He's not going to... He doesn't pair well with him, so that's not going to happen. He's... he. The little, the little small passes and the little small touches that are required from a player of his position in this system just aren't going to happen. I mean, maybe, maybe if Tuca leaves in the summer, but I, I just don't see it. Yeah, but every, you know, other people were able to adjust to it. Murray's hasn't even been given a shot. If you think about it, he just came back this season. I just feel like, I feel like he's only ever been the player. That we thought he could be under under Jurgen Klopp in a very specific system. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I mean, he he played under Klopp, you know, after coming back a whole season, you know, shipping in for Genuan more or less, where he did quite well. That's but, true. But under under Tuchel, it's it's not happening for him, sadly enough. Um, Mark, we kind of have neglected Eric Durm here because he also came back. Uh, maybe a couple of words mm -hmm. on him. Um, I really don't see where he's going to fit in because he is definitely behind Passlock and Guerrero. And those two guys are not, I wouldn't say behind, but even with Pizcek and Schmelzer. So our fifth choice wing back maybe for Eric Durham. Um, I just don't see where he fits in unless two or three more players get injured. Well, that doesn't really sound positive. <laughs> I mean, I 100% don't know if he actually will be a worse choice than Rafael Guerrero to chip in for Message Mesa because I still think that defensively, Durm has more to offer than Guerrero playing as a left back. Offensively, we don't even have to discuss it at all. But, you know, if you need to sure, sure up the, about what? <laughs> Park. Park. Well, well, he had a shot. He really blew it. So we don't. I, I don't think we'll see Park ever back, especially not with Dom. Dom is even ahead of Park in the packing order. So those are those are my two cents here that Dom might actually get to play if Schmelzer can't, and Guerrero is maybe used up top. So there, but he won't, he won't be a regular starter either. You know, it's either be a French player or join Jonas Hofmann at Gladbach. Something like or that. Or go with Ginter. How's that going for Jonas? Well, he, he was, uh, subbed in today against Manchester City after Traore was injured and had to be carried off the field. I don't know if, uh, he will permanently play, but, uh, you know, it's not going too well for him at Gladbach. I think it's It's pretty much the same amount of playing time uh, for the folds as he had in Dortmund, so not much of an improvement for him. I feel like the money we got for him was a pretty good, pretty good haul. Yeah, eight eight point five million. Good business. Mark, anything? Any any last things to say on a Liga match? Oh, I think we covered most of it. <laughs> Didn't you think of the uh, bicycle kick of Roman Weinfeller? <laughs> I actually did not get to see that live. My stream just cut out at that second, right when the ball was flashed across goal. So I thought Legia had just equalized. And I only, like, today saw that highlight. I didn't even know that had happened until today. Well, Jason, then uh, 
Tammy, what was he thinking? Crickets? <laughs> I that that was like so many parts of this game. I had I got at least fifteen texts from other people that either saw the scoreline or got in with their Fox Soccer to go. They're like, "Can you explain to me what is going on with this match?" It's it was just as a person who has never been between been a goalkeeper before. I wouldn't even know where to start. I, <laughs> that whole match was just crazy. I know. You know, as funny as it was, the, the big problem here, though, is that he made a really weird decision. He just could have caught it, but he opted for a bicycle kick. Yes, know, and, exactly. And played the ball high up in the, in the field. And I, I think, you know, as funny and crazy as that was, you know, going forward, I lost a bit of confidence in him. And that's not a good sign because I was already, uh, well, all, almost all the time a very f- big fan of Weidenfeller. fella. I, I think the one, the one piece of defense I will offer, which is weird, it, they're so difficult to coach, at least in my experience. They, goalkeepers have this strange, uh, approach to the game and, and, that's part of the reason I think so many of them blossom so late is that just they just see things in a different way than every other field player in in just if if the way everybody else see, sees it is like a four out of ten and a weird goalkeepers are tens it's just they 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 make weird decisions that sometimes turn out to be right obviously this one was was baffling too but it was kind of right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, kind and, of. And kind of, yeah. I mean, you you obviously wouldn't coach them to, but there's so many things that goalkeepers do that you would go, okay, maybe don't do that again, <laughs> you know. And then it ends up working out for them. So, I mean, I, I find a lot of the best goalkeepers make some strange, not strange decisions, but just they do things in a way that that you wouldn't coach them because it's just a difficult, it's just such a difficult position to coach. Yeah, I guess. And I guess we can knock it on the head here for the Legia segment. And uh, we'll be back with a preview against Eintracht Frankfurt. Borussia Dortmund against Eintracht Frankfurt in Frankfurt on the Saturday and Borussia Dortmund are looking to extend their winning streak of two <laughs> to three. Um, so at least in the, in the Bundesliga after uh, miraculous results against Hamburg and Bayern, they want to also take on Frankfurt. Christina, you already mentioned that Dortmund lost the last two times in Frankfurt. Frankfurt's uh, pretty strong at home this season. Um If if we look at the table, they're in seventh place, but level on on points with Dortmund and uh, in the in the home table, they're ninth. Uh, so actually, they they are they are worse. You know, away form means they're third in the away table. But uh, yeah, nev- nevertheless, they're still a very strong side, and we will hear about Frankfurt in the second uh, from Jason and and Brian. Brian is a is a Frankfurt fan. Um, 
But Mark, let's talk a little bit about Borussia Dortmund going into this game. Um, Tuchel made nine changes to the Legia match. Uh, do you also see nine changes again? Um, maybe not nine, but I think we'll definitely see probably more than three or four. Uh, Weigel, Aubameyang, Schürrle, Goethe will probably all start. That's four right there that I can name off the top of my head that are likely. So I expect at least four changes. And uh, whether or not we'll win, I think we'll probably draw. Like Christina said, we haven't won in Frankfurt since the 13-14 season. And they seem like a rejuvenated sign to other under a Nico Kovac. Um, so yeah, I predict a one, one draw. I would, I would love to feel a little bit more confident and maybe I'll be proved wrong, but Frankfurt have been a good team this season and I think we'll struggle. Frankfurt are also unbeaten in seven at home. That makes me even less confident. <laughs> Jason, uh, any, any, uh, particularly, any particular players you want to see play against Frankfurt? I want to see Roy start. I want to see him pick up where he left off uh, yesterday. And um, mm. okay with rolling with a prediction from here? Yeah, well, if you, if you don't have anything else to say, then yes. Not really so much. Um, this feels like a 3-2 to two Dortmund for me. Um, I feel like we got a uh, nice uh, a uh, let's say a Royce brace and a uh, couple of scary moments toward the end, but we hold on and, and uh, take three points. Interesting. Interesting. I really do wonder if Tuchel will feel the back free again, because that really worked out well for, for Dortmund and gave them some stability with uh, Ginter, Batra, and Socrates. So. You'd rather see that than... Oh, no, I guess you're right. Never mind. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Okay. I just hope to see Schmelzer and Pischek starting. Yeah, yeah, Schmelzer. I'd be a little more comfortable. Schmelzer confident. especially. But I don't know the status of him recording this on Wednesday night, whether he is uh, back from sickness or whether he has also a muscle injury to nurse. I mean, he looked fairly okay after the Bayern match jumping around, so we can hope that it wasn't too bad and only just a cramp and he uh, swalked that off <laughs> <laughs> within the week. <laughs> so... Yeah. Charlie Horse. Yeah, what what's your what's your prediction on that? I'm going two one Dortmund. Huh man, that's the housewife tip, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to me being positive, I was gonna say to all. <laughs> Alright, yeah, well I I'm I'm also with you. I think Frankfurt will definitely score and I hope that Dortmund will score at least one more goal. So I'm also going to say 2-1. I don't, I don't think it will be a high scoring game. I just think that both, especially Frankfurt will focus on the defense first and will, uh, look to make life really tough for Dortmund. And, uh, you know, depending on when the goals come in, it might actually be a scoreless draw. So, um, having said that, Jason, I will uh, give it up to you now and uh, Brian and hear what he has to say about Eintracht Frankfurt.
I am joined by uh, one of my friends, Brian Sanders, who is a member of the Kansas City Bundesliga group and happens to be an Eintracht Frankfurt fan. Brian, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing very well. Thank you for inviting me to join. Are you uh, pretty pumped about the uh, match this weekend? You know, there's not any one Eintracht game that I'm not excited for. Some games you get a little bit more excited, but when you play one of the big teams, and let's face it, uh, Borussia Dortmund happens to be a team that has a huge fan following, and the Kansas City group, uh, it's extremely populated by them. It's more than uh, a little exciting when it comes to match day. Fantastic. So uh, why don't we start off, uh, what, what made you become an Eintracht Frankfurt fan? Okay, so let's turn back the clock to summer of 2006. Now, the United States national team at the World Cup, well, suffice to say that Bruce Arena, now uh, recently appointed U.S. national team coach again, uh, went out with the team, you know, in the group stage, but I kept on watching the tournament in Germany. I have a lot of German heritage in my family and just happened to get really excited for all the matches that came along. So... I kind of infused that enthusiasm once the tournament was over with, okay, my local MLS team, the then known as Kansas City Wizards, were okay. And I started getting interested in them, started looking on uh, big soccer, for those who remember that, the message boards there. There was a, uh, in interesting uh, thread that was about new chance to bring up. And I went to a game, and I thought it was all right. Um, I saw this new chance thread, and I happened to see a video, a YouTube video that still is out there of the Eintracht Frankfurt fans uh, for an away game, and you could actually see them jumping up and down all in unison, yelling, hey, Eintracht Frankfurt, said la, 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 la. And you could actually – the camera then pointed down to the fact that the stadium actually had cracks in it. You could see the stadium literally bouncing. So I took to my computer – and found a little bit more about Eintracht Frankfurt, realized that, hey, they have an eagle as the logo. The American uh, eagle kind of resonated with me there. And, and then I bothered to ask my father where exactly in Germany precisely that our family came from. We came from the general Frankfurt region. So it was a match made in heaven and one that, you know, just has been a great connection with me. And ever since then, despite uh, more than <laughs> one relegation, uh, I've still stuck through with the eagle. Eagles since then. Very good. So one of the big things we talked about or we wanted to talk about was how does how does it, a club like Eintracht go from uh, relegation battle to uh, level with, with our boys in Dortmund this year? What, what has been the turnaround and, and, and um, what have been the biggest differences? Well, let's, let's get back to where Eintracht Frankfurt was before the end of last season. Uh, under Armand Vey, the team was just languished it right down there in the relegation fight. Eventually, they did pull themselves free uh, via the playoffs. But honestly, when it did come around February time, when we did sack our uh, Armand Vey, who had returned to Eintracht Frankfurt as a coach, we went with an entity that was not proven at the club level in Nico Kovac, our current uh, manager. He had originally a well-known stint with the Croatian national team had done pretty good there, but hadn't been tried at the club level. And so the team, the the administration really, from what I saw, was they were taking the gamble. Either it would pay off and would help the club in the long run, or we would f face sure relegation. So the sheer fact that we were able to 
kind of somehow survive relegation, and that was an epic task in and of itself. I mean, the transition that the club did over the off season, a whole bunch of players were shifted off the books. I mean, only 3 million euros were actually spent in terms of transfer fees over the summer. You had a lot of players leave. You had one of the players who was key to the team last year, and Stefan Eigner, and actually dropped down a division to go to 1860 Munich. Yes, 1860 Munich, who has an owner who spends money like it's going out of style, and fires coaches also in the same manner. You know, we sold a lot of players. We did not really... In, we recouped some money, but the thing was, the team didn't. It was all about signing players that you could on loan and signing players that we could on free. Basically, marginal marginalizing the fact that the team had been spending money and was not bringing in. So for this team, it really under Nico Kovac, he needed a time, needed a full preseason to get his ideas uh, really. Uh, cemented with the team and some I mean some of the signings that have been made you know there were four loanee signings uh Valerio Vallejo he- uh Hector and Rebeck just to name four that you know the intent was with them that you know possible uh able to make them be permanent signings but the fact was the team didn't have any money and needed to kind of move out a lot of the deadwood we did that in the off season, I honestly predicted that anything that was above 14 was, you know, to be good as gold. But the sheer fact that the team is playing together, we're not going to rely on the foosball god Alex Meyer on a week in week out basis to score the goals. The team just looks like they're enjoying their football. When at the end of last year, it just seemed at many times. The players were angry. The coach seemed to be trying to rally them together, but it was, we barely got a, we barely survived by the skin of our teeth at the la, you know, just a lap, kind of late goal in the relegation playoff. And the sheer fact that Eintracht Frankfurt, I know this is a very long-winded answer, the sheer fact that Eintracht Frankfurt is here in their position now within grasping, within position, within position to grasp a European place, this is truly, uh, great turnaround that any Eintracht Frankfurt fan is just enjoying to the fullest extent. Absolutely, and it's it's been fun to watch. Um, so w- one of the interesting additions this year to me has been uh, Marco Fabian, uh, our favorite our favorite player from uh, our southern neighbors. Um, what do you attribute the uh, rise of Fabian this year? Okay, so Fabian was actually pulled in by in the winter transfer window uh, from Chivas de Guadalajara during the Armand Bay era for about three and a half million euros. You know, a pretty small fee considering the kind of money that Dortmund was splashing this past summer. But he wasn't fully prepared to deal with the entire change of climate, the change of just the team ethos that he was joining. You know, for many players, you know, coming from uh, this hemisphere that happens to speak Spanish, sometimes it can be a little bit of a transition period before you really are kind of integrated within the side. And he never really got a real shot. Uh, for He played for a couple games uh, under Armin Vey, but then pretty much was unused by Niko Kovac. But... But with a full offseason, I think one of the things was fitness was something that Niko Kovac stressed amongst his players. And Fabian was physically 
not up to scratch last season. That's why he saw so little game, time on the field. But now he's got his confidence. That is something that he did have when he was playing with Chivas and on loan at Cruz Azul, if I remember also correctly, that when he had good patches, it was because he really focused in on his game. And right now, that is something that everyone has bought in uh, with Nigo Kovac at the helm. And Fabian has been pretty much inspirational and has only now been able to even get a call back into the Mexican national team side. He has really been a workhorse that was for me unexpected because I didn't honestly not think that he would make the grade. I thought that Gasinovich would probably be more relied on uh transfer that we had at the beginning of the previous season. I thought that he would be more expected to shoulder more responsibility, but it has turned out that Fabian has been able to integrate him into German society and is now uh, all that hard work that he put in, you know, in the Rook Ronda of last season is starting to pay off in addition to the hard work that he put in the preseason. And he, with, you know, a couple handful of goals, in addition to providing some great free kicks and just stretching the field and the way that Nico Kovic is ha- having the team play, he's been really inspirational. And I really am just excited with everything that is going forward with Eintracht Frankfurt. Absolutely. So, uh, what kind of team is Dortmund going to roll into town and play? Are they going to be? You think they're going to bunker in a little more? Um, and and will the way they play be sort of uh, uh, characteristic to the way they played this now, year? No, I'm glad you asked that because uh, Eintracht Frankfurt has been kind of doing this weird little th- in the last couple of games uh, against FC Köln and Werder Bremen. They were doing a kind of three-four-three sort of formation. Now the back three was. David Abraham, who is the kind of seen as the vice captain when Alex Meyer is not on the field, and a great defender in his own right. Uh, Makoto Hasebe, the Japanese captain, is usually put, while he's usually seen as a midfielder when he plays for the Japanese national team, is kind of right there in that central defensive role. Uh, three defensive center backs that we put in, along with the young Vallejo, the Real Madrid Loney. Um, normally they play. They, I'm glad you brought up Vallejo because uh, a couple people on the podcast were wanting to know about uh, about. He really, really is a standout player that he needed an opportunity to really succeed. He had been uh, out on loan for Real Madrid previously. He's seen as a prospect for the future, and his time, I I can only say that his time spent with Eintracht Frankfurt, he will be a major part of the Spanish national team in the future, but not at this stage. One thing that will not be a part of the Eintracht team uh, this game against Dortmund because of yellow card accumulation is uh, Vallejo. And that's really a kind of sticky subject. It's the fact that, okay, who will then take who would then kind of take his place in defense? Because there's some, there's a couple of defensive uh, players that are missing. What is most likely going to happen is Osipka, uh, will probably be put in to uh, the defensive role, probably be called in, because normally he would play out on the wing, kind of like how Timothy Chandler, in almost like a wingback kind of role, has been playing for the team. But that's really what Dortmund's going to need to break down. Uh, Eintracht Frankfurt plays in front, uh, defensive three, plays behind uh, two-man 
midfield defense usually has to uh, Hootsie now that he has gotten back from his yellow cards. Uh, he's he's been pretty good as well as Mascarell, who is another player that Eintracht picked up in the off season. The Eintracht Frankfurt's defense it's all working together. The the team you pull back and then you move forward as a collective unit. So the former that everyone's been talking about. Uh, Timothy Chandler being in, you know, it's because he's actually working for the rest of the team. Uh, the team really pulls together, and that's, you know, yes, there was a brief moment in Sunday where Werder Bremen did happen to have some openings. That goal was, I mean, that, <laughs> it just happened to break the offside trap perfectly, and it was just a great ball that was put in. You know, it's kind of hard. Great goals, you know, it's just hard to stop them. But for Eintracht Frankfurt, this this what this is a team that is hard to break down and if you do not if you do not capitalize on any one mistake and I track Frankfurt is a team defensively that doesn't make many mistakes at all. If Dortmund doesn't capitalize on those like they did uh midweek in the Champions League Eintracht Frankfurt is going to be found to be very difficult to break down, and you can go back to match day 33 of last of last season when Eintracht Frankfurt pulled away a nice uh, 1-0 victory, kind of to end the Borussia uh, Dortmund's uh, title aspirations last year. Uh, yes, I do agree that uh, the that call off goal of Hummels should have gone through, but Eintracht Frankfurt is still very much a defense oriented team first and foremost and then when they do hit you on the counter they like to open things up uh by going wide very good you you did mention uh mascarel uh we were under the impression mm-hmm. that he's going to be out for saturday yeah so uh yellow uh, excuse me uh, mascarel he's out and not vallejo for the yellow card accumulation Can, sometimes uh, <laughs> the amount of players that uh eintracht frankfurt has changed over it's i mean the amount of players that come in and come out instead of kind of the usual, you know, three in, three out, or maybe four in, four out, just kind of keeping a small level. I talk Frankfurt's really kind of move. It's been like almost a wholesale chance. So Mascarell, uh, he has been signed on, uh, currently and he will be out for this weekend's game. I do think that still, uh, filling that role, Hasebe probably will be most likely moved uh, forward because of the fact that uh, Eintracht Frankfurt, despite the fact that you know they've moved a lot of players out, there's a lot of players that are currently injured. You know, some guys who are you know in long-term injury, and despite the fact that everyone was uh, so excited by. Barcock, who just comes on and just, you know, one of the two subs come off the bench and scores a goal and just a great ball at the end. He's a little young to be, you know, being tossed onto the the fire pit, as they say, playing against a big team like Borussia Dortmund, you know, expecting him to perform at the same level. It's going to be interesting what kind of team Nico Kovac comes out with due to the fact that Eintracht Frankfurt – we're not a very deep team. It seems like every single week there's someone new who's injured, someone new who's sick. Uh, it it should be interesting in a way that Eintracht Frankfurt do come out who fills the gaps here and who is moved over there. Yeah, it's it's interesting. You touched a little bit on, I think one of the, the keys when I've seen uh, Frankfurt play this year has been the stability and just the way that everybody kind of works together, which is, is even more mm-hmm. impressive given given how much change there was, in especially in the last two seasons. So, um it's interesting. Uh, any particular matchup you're going to be watching this weekend? Um, particularly, if I had to kind of 
like just pick one. I would definitely have to go with the fact that uh Rotha, who has been you know, one of the interesting pickups, we picked him up uh from uh Bruce Mujin Glagbat on a free transfer. He is usually he has been kinda in and out of the starting lineup in terms of whether he's starting or Tarasha as well, another loanee signing. Eintracht Frankfurt has been very much using Alex Meyer almost as a player who comes off the bench due to the fact that his age and the fact that, you know, he never was a very speedy player. Sadly, Danny Bloom uh, is still out injured. He's been a really nice pickup. But I would actually have to say that the way that the kind of front three to really expect uh, to uh, to be playing it, Fabian Kasinovic and Rotha, who I would prefer kind of to be able to kind of tire out uh, the uh, the Bremer team, who you know playing against uh, playing in the Champions League, you always will have squad rotation, and I think the the front three Eintracht Frankfurt specifically going down. Uh, the left with Gasinovich, who I think that doesn't get enough attention. Everyone goes to uh, Fabian, but Gasinovich really, for me, is probably the most talented player with in terms of an upside in the future, and he's one uh, one, one to keep an eye on, especially uh, for all fans of uh, uh, the Bundesliga. And where he does, where he cuts in uh, from the left, and he sometimes will switch out even with Fabian. Because uh, Fabian does kind of like to play more center role, though we'll put him out wide initially and then have him kind of move kind of further in a, a little bit in, kind of like Kasinovich, while we'll have Ozika and Chandler kind of specifically staying on the wing itself. Uh, Kasinovich kind of running riot right behind the striker. That is something that will be difficult for Dortmund to handle because so much, I think so much more attention will be put on Fabian and that will allow for options available for Kostinovich. Very good. So uh, do you have a prediction for the weekend? I do. And I'm going, I'm going with the same scoreline that happened to match day 33. Uh, one, no victory for Eintracht Frankfurt. Eintracht most likely getting the goal in the first half. Kind of like what happened against FC Cohn, uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And just like what happened, uh, against, uh, Shiza Newell-Fier, <laughs> uh, to start off the season, get an early goal, work, uh, play off of the attacks that will come from Dortmund because Dortmund, uh, packs so many attacking options. It's kind of boggles the mind. But then when you are a top level team as Dortmund is, and I'm not, not gonna lie, I'm, a little nervous about the game, but I have so much faith in Niko Kovic and this team that anything that happens where we fight for the badge, you know, and you can just tell that the team really plays for the fans themselves. That's all that we as Eintracht Frankfurt fans really want. And against in a game uh, like this, I think uh, a 1-0 victory is definitely doable. I do think that in the latter stages of the match, so long as Eintracht Frankfurt stays away from picking up needless yellow cards, which could bite them in the rear, you know, in following weeks. I think that is definitely something that could be picked up. Very good. So uh, appreciate you joining us tonight. Where can uh, where can the listeners find you? Yeah, so on Twitter, my handle is at KCSGE. Always talking about uh, the Bundesliga there. And you can also find my writings uh, at Prost America 
and just look for the Bundes- just look for uh, the Bundesliga tab and myself and uh, Dan. I felt a, and I, I, I'll admit uh, only two of us writers that are really covering the Bundesliga at the moment and uh, a Bayern fan. Yeah, we <laughs> we we do our own we do our own bits, but hey, uh, he's he's a good guy and we both try and follow the try and do our own bits to stay as level-headed as possible when writing about the Bundesliga. Appreciate it. Well, we will see you on Saturday and hope for a good match. All right. Cheers. Thanks, Jason. Uh, that was awesome. And uh, while we are still here, we will now say goodbye. And we won't do that before telling everyone where people can find us on the Internet with uh, you, Christina, going first. First of all, I want to say happy Thanksgiving to all the American listeners tonight. Yeah, happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> and you can find me on Twitter at Wanderlust. With a double R. With a double R. Yeah, and it's going to be in the show notes. I've written a couple of things for the yellow wall, too. So Throughout time. <laughs> all right, so has uh, Mark, who has a very remarkable Twitter handle. Mark, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dortmund USA. That's easy to remember, Jason. Twitter at Gelba Cartoon. Cool. You can find me at Stefan Butzko. You can follow the show on Twitter as well at Yellow Wallpot, which is pretty much the same as on Facebook. And uh, if you want to check out our written content, you will find that on yellowwallpot.com. If you just want to subscribe to the podcast, you can either do this on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or iTunes where you should definitely give us a nice rating. And while Christina is finishing <laughs> up her beer what? and making noise in the background, uh, I will say goodbye. You can follow me on Twitter. at No, I already said that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you can find my writing on, on ESPN. This was episode 162. I will now look forward to a ton of editing, but it was fun. And uh, I guess we will see <laughs> you guys on the flip side after the match against Frankfurt. Goodbye.